Today we're wrapping up this series of messages that we call Finding Faith in the Movies. We've been discovering these lessons of faith in some very unlikely places, starting with the movie 300, then in the movie Cars, we found faith in the film Little Miss Sunshine of all places, and today we're going to conclude with this film called Hitch. And Hitch, by the way, is the third highest grossing romantic comedy of all time, right behind My Big Fat Greek Wedding and What Women Want by the way. And apparently with Hitch, Will Smith decides to take a break from battling CGI creatures in summer blockbuster films and decides to star as this guy named Alexander Hitchens, who is a dating consultant, an all-around pickup expert. He's advertised in the movie's tagline as the cure for the common man. The cure for the common man. Alex C. helps hopeless men get the girls of their dreams by giving them a tune-up. He's known in secret as the date doctor. He works exclusively off of referrals. And he does his very best to stay way, way off the public's radar because, well, a guy who does what he does could be in a lot of trouble. Hitch's latest case is this guy named Albert Brenneman, which is a fantastic name. Albert Brenneman, who is a nebish accountant who is in love with his celebrity client, this woman named Allegra Cole, the stunning Allegra Cole. And other than an incident in which he lends Allegra a pen, for the most part, Allegra has no idea that Albert even exists. So Albert hires Hitch to turn him into a dateable commodity that just might get the attention of this super celebrity Allegra. And believe me, Hitch has his work cut out for him. Watch this. Um, Generally, I have a firm no dancing policy, but if she asks, you cannot say no. Dancing is the one thing I'm not worried about. But if there are people there and I'm they sorry, get to uh, stand and I, I hate to be a stickler, but in, I, I need to be thorough. And, um, show me what you mean by you're not worried about it. Trust me. Peace up. Yeah. 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 That's what it's all about right there. Okay. See how it gets bigger? Now I'm going to start the fire. But the feet are going. I start the fire. I make the pizza. Hips are always going with it. The cute hip. Cute Throw it away. That's not working. You hit it with this. Don't ever do that again. Do you hear me? Just expressing myself. New. No, mm-mm, not like that, you're not. All right? This is where you live. Right here. You live right here, okay? This is home. None of that. I don't want to see none of that. I don't need no pizza. They got food there. Six inches from the waist, 90 degree angles. Don't, don't you bite your lips. Stop it. Alright, even a great dancer can lose it with one of these. 
Okay, see, now that's what I need to be learning. Next subject. Get out. Ball is back in play after a 20 second timeout. They can lead the Grizzlies 12 6 here early in the first quarter. So, this is what this feels like, huh? This being. Great seats, great game. I mean, sort of. To me, I mean, it feels like a date. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look at her. She looks so happy. How does a guy like that end up with a girl like her? Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> I'm so jealous. I've always wanted to be able to do that. Really? Yeah. Tonight is your lucky night. Let's see what you got. Okay. You ready? <laughs> I'm sorry. That's fine. That's fine. Nick's off to a great start. <laughs> Here's how it works. Central Park Zoo, tomorrow noon by the sea lions. No, don't worry. I'll find you. All right. Thank you. Mr. Hitchens. Miss Cole, thank you very, very much for seeing me. You said it was a matter of life and death. That man would have sold his soul to make you happy. So what does that make you? The devil? My job is not to deceive, Miss Cole. It's to create opportunities. Like the boardroom. Would you have noticed him otherwise? Yes. Really? Eventually. Maybe. How did you know all that stuff about me? Well, you really did your homework. Like at boarding school when everyone used to tease me because I couldn't whistle. And having him dance like a buffoon knowing that I can't dance either. Then telling him to drop mustard on his shirt so I'd feel less like a dork. That was all you, right? No. That was him. That's got Albert written all over it. 
Did you put him up to the inhaler? Stop it. He did not show you that. He chucked it right before he kissed me. So, so wait, that... That stuff worked for you. It was adorable. <laughs> what did you do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So at the end of Hitch, which is right near where that is right there, we see superstar Allegra Cole loves the Nebish Albert Brenneman for who he really is, right? His bad dance moves, this guy's a slob, right? And get this, she loves him just like Jesus loves us, see? Jesus loves us today for who we really are. See, Jesus loves you, he loves me, he died for you, he died for me in just the condition you are in right this moment. He doesn't say, Jesus doesn't, that you've got to dress up or that you've got to change this or you've got to change that about you before you're worthy of his death on the cross for your sin, see. That's why around Journey Church, we're what you call a come-as-you-are kind of church, right? Right? The way we look, the way we dress, that is all external, see? And God looks right past the external, straight into our hearts. Spit-shining our exteriors cannot ever change what is inside of us. And God loves us, and God accepts us. He sent his son Jesus to die for us in just the condition we're in this very moment. And every single illustration breaks down, and here's where the hitch illustration does While the superstar Allegra Cole loves Albert Brenneman for who he really is, just the way he is, just like Jesus loves us for who we really are, there's a difference, see. The difference is that while Allegra Cole might be fully content to leave Albert Brenneman just the way he is, Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me so much that he will not leave us just as we are this moment. Jesus is not at all content just leaving us as we are. See, he invites us instead to be like him. Imagine that. He invites us to be like him. I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that if I ask for a show of hands in a room like this, and I'm not, so keep your hands down if you would, if I ask the question, how many of us in this room would like to be more like Jesus, that like every hand in the room would go up, right? I don't have any doubt. But then I was reading some stuff by Brendan Manning this week, and Brendan Manning makes a suggestion that we take all of us in this room who raise our hands and say we want to be more like Jesus, and we left here today accompanied by a video camera crew who videotaped every moment of our lives for the next 30 days. And then we bring those tapes back in and watch them and ask the question again, Do we really want to be more like Jesus? And let the tapes answer the question. Because see, here's what I'm finding in my life. This might be true of you. You can compare notes. I am incredibly grateful to have received the salvation of Jesus Christ. That is a great thing, right? Hell is not my destination when I die. I really like that. I think lots of us do like that. 
But when it comes right down to it, I resist the transformation that makes me more like Jesus because I rather like living my life the way that I think that I should live my life. No show of hands, but might that be true of you as well? I rather like living my life the way that I think I should live it very often. I heard a story about a lady. She lived in a very small house on the seashore of Ireland the turn of the previous century. She was quite wealthy, and she was also very, very frugal. People were then very surprised when she decided to be among the first in the whole country to have electricity brought into her home. Several weeks after the installation of the electricity, one of the meter readers from the electric company appeared at her door, and he asked her, is your electricity working well? She said, well, of course it is. Well, then he said, the meter reader did, I'm wondering if you could explain something to me, please. Your meter shows scarcely any usage whatsoever. Are you using any power? Certainly, she answered. Every evening, see, when the sun sets, I turn on my lights just long enough to light my candles, and then I turn them off again. Now that woman, she's tied her house into the power grid, hasn't she? It isn't that she doesn't use it, it's just that she doesn't use it, does she? Her house is connected, see, but it isn't any different. What's true of that woman, this is where this is going. What's true of that woman is also true of lots and lots of us who follow Jesus today. Our souls are certainly saved, but our hearts are in no way changed. We're connected to Jesus, but we are no different We've trusted Jesus for our salvation. Heaven is our destination when we die, certainly, but we resist the transformation that comes from following him moment by moment by moment. We occasionally flip the switch on, yeah, but most of the time, much of the time, we are living in the dark. Our big idea for today says this. Because of the Holy Spirit's activity in our lives, we get the incredible privilege of being changed into God's own image through our obedience to him. That big idea descends out of our text for today, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'd invite you to flip there if you've got a Bible. If not, you can follow along on the side screens. 2 Corinthians three eighteen. it reads like this. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Now to understand what Paul, who is the author of 2 Corinthians, is talking about in verse, chapter 3, verse 18, we've got to go all the way back to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 34, and pour into chapter, verses 29 to 35 of Exodus. You can follow along on the side screens. Here's what the text says. This will get at some of this veil stuff we see in 2 Corinthians. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, what would those tablets be known as? Yeah, those are the Ten Commandments. That is exactly right. He comes down carrying the two stone tablets. He was not aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. I guess there were no mirrors up on Mount Sinai so that he could know that. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. They're freaked out by him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. 
When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. So Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to meet with God one-on-one. God descends onto the top of the mountain in a cloud. He instructs Moses in the law. For 40 days, Moses stays up there in the presence of God. Then Moses comes comes down, and he wasn't aware that he's got this radiance about his face from being in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says that after Moses shared the words of the law with the people, he put this veil over his face. Though whenever he went into the Lord's presence, he removed the veil until he came out. When he came out, he put the veil back on. He told the Israelites what he had been commanded. Moses, see, kept that veil over his face until he went back to speak with the Lord. Now, fast forward back to 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Paul is using this writing in 2 Corinthians to contrast the Exodus account of Moses. Now, at first brush, we might read that Exodus account and say, well, the reason Moses wore that veil was so that the Israelites wouldn't see the glory of the Lord on Moses and, like, be freaked out by it, right? He's just covering it up so he's not scaring them, right? I think it's a good time to answer the question, what in the world is the glory of the Lord? What in the world is the glory of the Lord? We hear that a lot. We sing it a lot. We sang the word glorious a couple of times in that song, famous one today, maybe even a couple of other songs. What is this glory of God? What does that mean? The most important Hebrew word in the Bible for the word glory is the word kabod, K-A-B-O-D, which means weight or importance. So that means when something has kabod, that means it has weight or or it has importance, and it has importance to the person being spoken of and also the person speaking about that other person, see? So when we sing that song, when we sing about the kabod of God, maybe we should write a song about the kabod of God. It might be a rap, even. We're saying, when we speak of the glory of God, when we sing about it, we're saying, God, you have weight. God, you have importance, And you have weight and you have importance with yourself, certainly, but you also have weight and you have importance with me. That's the kabod of God, the glory of God. Secondarily, we see in the Bible that God's glory is also God's visible manifestation to humans. It's the revelation of God's being, his nature, and his presence to humanity. Sometimes it comes with a physical phenomenon. So when Moses comes down the mountain, the text says this, that his face had become radiant. Why? Because he had spoken to the Lord. That's the glory. That's the revelation of God on Moses. It's God's nature. It's his presence that's lingering on Moses after having been with God up on the mountain. And so while we might say, well, Moses covered up his face to keep the people of Israel from being freaked out by that, Instead, Paul is painting for us the Exodus account of Moses and God's glory from Moses' perspective, which is this. 
The real reason Moses wore the veil was so that the Israelites would not see the glory of the Lord on Moses as it faded away. See, Moses took that veil off only when he was in private audience with God in the tent of meeting. He had to continue, see, to recharge his dose of the glory of the Lord, and then he would cover it up again so that it would be less noticeable as it was fading Paul is communicating to us in 2 Corinthians that Moses' recurring meetings with God were an indication that he required repeated exposure to God and to his glory. One shot was not good enough. And as that glory faded, Moses would don that veil until it was the glory of God was gone and then he would go back in for another dose of God's glory. But look at the text. We're not like that today. We are not like Moses today, 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. When we're in Christ, see, when we're Christ followers as Christians, whatever you want to call us, we reflect the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces. We have no veil because God permanently removed that veil the moment we stepped over the line of faith in him. That veil got torn away. So we can see God's glory, like Moses did certainly, and we can also reflect God's glory like Moses did. The only difference, see, is that the glory of God on us as we follow Jesus, the glory of God that we reflect does not fade away. Why? Why doesn't it fade? Because we are being changed more and more into the Lord's glorious image. The text answers the question. That is to say that every moment of every single day, we are being more and more transformed to look like Jesus. How? By virtue of Christ's abiding presence in our lives. He's with us constantly, never separated from us who follow Jesus. See, every day Moses was looking less and less like Jesus, really. The glory of God on Moses' face was ever decreasing on a very fast track downward. And so he hid it with the veil so the people wouldn't see that. But that is not our trajectory. Not the trajectory of the Christ followers. It's up and up and up for us. Why? Because Jesus resides permanently in we who follow him. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit is doing what? Makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. See, God is wholly committed to making we who believe in Jesus like Jesus. We see this truth all over the place in the New Testament. And that work to make us more like Jesus won't be completed until the end of this life as we await our final resurrection with Him. But the Holy Spirit, right this second, is at work in us. And he's energizing this gradual process, see, that is directed toward making everything about our lives more like Jesus. Right now, God is in the process of working his transformation in all of us who follow Jesus. And through this very gradual but very real change in us, others see Jesus. 
Paul is telling us that God removed the veil that was over our lives before we knew Christ so that others can see Jesus in us. It isn't just about us. It's about others as well. And get this. It's not like we have to be perfect. It isn't like we have to step onto the perfection treadmill. People do not see Jesus in us through some supposed human perfection, some self-righteousness, some piety, but rather people see Jesus in us through our gradual transformation. It is not anything like, see how good I am, that reflects the glory of God's transformation in us, but rather it's see what God is doing in my life. You know how I used to be. You see the wreck that my life was, and it's not anymore. Why? Because God is in me. His spirit is changing me, making me more and more like Jesus. People see Jesus in us as we're transformed from perhaps being a harsh and controlling person toward being a kinder, gentler person. People see Jesus in us as we shift from only looking out for number one toward being concerned for people around us, like all people around us. People see Jesus in us as we put down the addictions, as we put down the habits that have held us captive and limited our effectiveness on a variety of fronts. But get this, for that shift to take place, for that level of transformation to actually occur in us, We must spend time with God. And it must be time with God that is is at a soul level so that that soul level work can take place. It does not happen in a room like this once a week. It has to go much beyond just this time. Because see, the more time we spend tapped into God's abiding presence in our lives, the more transformed we are. Thus, the more we radiate the glory of God. It's about every single day of our lives tapping into God's presence as soon as possible in the day and staying in that place with God for as long as possible, whether we feel like it or not, and maybe more so when we really don't feel like it. We should be doing that all week long, every day, setting aside time, getting alone with God, focusing on his presence, speaking to him what is on our heart. Let him speak to you. Don't do all the talking. Let him speak to you through prayer, through his word, and then do what he says. Follow his directions. He's whispering directives into our souls constantly. And that transformation process comes as we listen to what he's whispering as we go do it. In that time, thank him for the cross. Thank him for his mercy that we receive every moment of every day. Thank him for his goodness that gives us life. Be still with God. Think on his abiding presence in your life as early as you can, as often as you can, for as long as you can. Because the more we do that, see, the more transformed we will be into the likeness of Christ himself. And it's out of that transformative time with God that we reflect what God is doing in our life. We reflect a life that looks more like Jesus. We reflect the glory of God to people around us. And our life, as one man said, I love this, reeks more and more of Jesus. Reeks more and more of Jesus. And I don't know about you, But I would love that to be said about my life. He reeks of Jesus Christ. 
because of what God is doing, because of his abiding presence through his Holy Spirit, all of us then are charged with boldly living out the good news of Jesus in everything we do and in everything that we say. And the primary test, in my view, of a life that is being transformed by God himself, the primary test of a life that looks more like Jesus, the primary test of a life that reflects the glory of God, the primary test of a life that reeks more and more of Jesus is in the way we treat people, isn't it? I heard the story this week, and it was about a man. He was talking about his wife and the way she treats people from other faiths, even. This guy said that it is not at all uncommon for him to arrive home from work to find he, his wife, gathered around the kitchen table with, for example, a group of Mormon missionaries or Jehovah's Witnesses who stop by to witness to her, and she invites them into the house, and she's getting them food to eat, she's getting them drink to drink, and she's listening to what they have to say. That's reeking of Jesus Christ is it not? This man actually said, you know, it makes me kind of mad sometimes because she's treating these people so well and couldn't she be doing something more productive with her time? And his wife very quickly corrects him saying, I'm treating them with the dignity, I'm treating them with the care with which Jesus would treat them. And she's right. She's absolutely right. I heard another story this week about a guy from our church, as a matter of fact. He manages a very, very large construction site at Big Sky. And he talks about the way that he treats people on his job site. To him, those people on his job site are not just his hired help. To him, they're not just his underlings. To him, they're not just the people who he is tasked with supervising. Rather, to him, they are people whom God has placed specifically in his life in order to reflect the glory of God to them. To reflect what God is doing in his life in front of them. And he does that through his words it does that through his, he does it through his deeds. He does it with boldness, and he does it with conviction, right? How many of you have ever incited road rage in someone else? Raise your hand. It's a moment you've incited road rage, and so you've made another driver mad. Come on. Good night. All right. Let's turn the honesty meter up just a wee bit, right? What do you do when you incite road rage in other people when you're driving? We, it happens to us all, right? We cut someone off or we're going too slow because we're like texting, right? Or we're talking on the phone. We sit through a traffic light because we're reading an email on our Blackberry. And see, what we do in response to the one-fingered salute we get, do you know what that is? I do not need to show you, right? What we do in response to the one-fingered salute goes a long way in discerning the level of our transformation, see, and how we reflect the glory of God, how we reflect what God is actually doing in us. Because see, those people, when they, when they fly the flag at you, right, they're expecting you and me to simply salute them in return because that's what people do. And so when we do that, we've simply given them what they've expected, right? But when you don't salute them in return, but instead you just smile and wave... <laughs> Big cheesy grin. That's what I try to do when I get that salute. It'll totally catch them off guard, see? It'll make them think something along the lines of, what in the world? Like that, that person, that's craziness. That person waved and smiled at me after I saluted them. Why'd they do that? Why'd they do that? 
And see, that line of thinking and that question that lingers in the air after such an encounter, that that isn't at all about you. It isn't at all about me. But rather, it is all about the one who is in us, who is changing us, and whose glory is ultimately being reflected through us moment by moment, see, as we are being changed more and more into the image of Jesus. And it's in the simple stuff. It is in the simple stuff, the way we treat people, the way we conduct ourselves, reflects the transformation that Jesus is doing in us right now, right when you walk out those doors, right when you wake up every single morning. Are you being changed? Are you being changed? I'm going to ask you, if you would, please, to take your things and just set them aside and Just close your eyes and bow your heads. I invite you to speak to the Lord about what's on your heart and your mind. Just tell God what it is that you're thinking about, if you would. bowed and your eyes closed if you would for the next few moments you know I'm a guy on the stage and as I stand up here I don't have a clue about where you stand in relationship to God today that's a you and God thing but maybe as you sit in this room today you know beyond the shadow of any doubt that you've never taken Jesus up on his offer of salvation to you I want you to know that in this moment, in this time, you can settle that once and for all today. You can just settle it. You can do that by acknowledging that Jesus loves you immeasurably. He does. That he died on the cross to be your savior. He did. That he died on the cross to be the rescuer of your soul. That's who he is. And in this moment, you can choose to put your faith and trust in him as your savior by the blood that he shed on the cross for you and for me. And if that's you, if you want to settle that today once and for all, I'd invite you to express that to God by praying along with me right where you're sitting a prayer that goes something like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have. And today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that the sin that I committed, my sin, not anyone else's sin, my sin, has separated me from you. And God, I'm telling you today with everything in me that I believe that Jesus died on the cross for that sin. And I ask you to please forgive me and please send Jesus to live inside of me. God, I want you to be my friend. God, I want you to change me. Everything about me, change me, God. Don't leave a place in my life untouched. God, I need you to clean my life up. And God, starting today, I make you the boss of my life. And you know, that decision to give your life to Jesus Christ, to invite him into your life, to make him your savior and your boss, that's the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more than that. Nothing carries more weight than that. 
And around here, it's such a big deal that we actually ask people to tell us when that's a decision that they've made. And so I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. Nobody's going to embarrass you. But if you prayed with me just then to give your life to Jesus Christ, to invite him into your heart, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? You can sure do that now. Make sure I catch your eye, please. Yeah, way to go. God's changing you right now. The veil being torn away, stepping into your life right now. You will never be the same. You will never be the same. And you too, buddy, way to go. God's changing you right now, and he's making you new. Way to go. You make sure I catch your eye, please. I don't want to miss anybody. It's too big a moment. say this maybe you're here today and you're a Christ follower and your soul is saved but your heart is no different sure you're connected to Jesus but life's the same you've trusted Jesus for your salvation you're going to heaven when you die but you're resisting the change that he's trying to affect in your life if that's you I challenge you today to just stop living the same old life. Maybe you're just playing like the Christian religion game. I invite you just to put that down, to decide today, drive a stake in the ground today, to be all in with Jesus, all in with the work, the change, the difference that he is pursuing in your life and through your life. Decide that today. Don't go out those doors today without sealing that commitment and saying, God, I want to be different. I'm tired of resisting the ways that you're attempting to change me and make me more like your son. God, thanks for loving us the way you do. Thanks for not leaving us in the place that you found us. Thanks for wanting to shape our lives. Thanks for wanting to change us more into the image of your son. We can't imagine anything more glorious than that. That we get to actually be something like Jesus is stunning to us. Will you keep up that work in us? And would you mark this community called Journey Church by the fact that we are a changed people. That we are different. That God has affected us to the core of our beings and we will never be the same and we live that change. We reflect that change. We inspire that change in others and we work diligently to bring it about, God. Change us.